But uh, that's, that's like a boy's delight. I always thought if you, if you could work in landscaping, that's the best of all job. Bull, I mean, what is better? I, I operate a bulldozer. <laughs> do they pay you to do that? You know, like, that's like a Sandlot boy's uh, dream, right? And those bobcats, uh, wow. And Mike, yeah, unbelievable. You should have seen the outhouse go over. I was taking pictures of it. Um, I can't remember who was the last guy out. Was it you, Mike? I said, come out and wave that before the thing's going over and drag that in the back there and all that. And Dave, I think you're right. God has given us a, a gem. And uh, I, drove, I, I drove, I had a pastor's meeting in Lancaster. I had, to, I had to get out at the early, so I couldn't be there much later than 10. I couldn't believe how beautiful it looks from the road. Make sure you drive by that. Look at that. Wow, wasn't that exciting? Well, pray for Faith. Uh, she's uh, in seventh heaven. She's down with the grandgirls. Uh, she's down in Georgia. She'll come back tomorrow. And she's uh, literally in heaven on earth, taking care of Sarah's three little girls. Uh, Greg and Sarah had a wedding up in Charleston. Uh, Bill Pearson, uh, his daughter, Heidi, uh, is getting married up there, a destination wedding, and Sarah's in it. So she said, I'll buy your ticket, Mom. You come down, take care of my baby so I can drive up. It's like three hours north of St. Simon, Georgia, up there. And so the wedding's today, and then she'll be back. So I'll pick her up. So I don't mind these short weekends away. I, I'm not good when they're a week or two. Those are no good. Amen? Amen. That's right. Well, we're going to continue uh, this morning uh, in our study of the Gospel of Luke, the Doctor's Gospel, and I've entitled this morning's message, Unmasking the Hypocrite. Unmasking the Hypocrite. You know, if you've had an opportunity, and it is a dear privilege, and I always count it that way, to be able to travel, and God has allowed uh, Faithy and I to do some traveling and, and, uh, and seeing a lot of things and preaching in a lot of continents. But uh, the one thing that amazes me is the American culture has gone all around the world. All around the world. For good and for bad, I got to tell you. I got to tell you. Everywhere you go, like when we go over to the Middle East in Qatar, and you see, you, you go like, uh, I'm going to go to Starbucks. They have Starbucks there. And the prices are exactly the same. Some of you are happy about this. Hey, that's good American. Schultz and his company, right? And all that, and all that, that kind of thing. Uh, Coca-Cola, all over the world. Go to Dubai, and you'll see uh, the Tech Village, and there's Microsoft, and Intel, and IBM, and all of that. And we say, well, that's good stuff. That's American ingenuity, and all that kind of thing. Uh, one thing you should notice, uh, know, though, is uh, around the world, America is known for its, uh, its culture. And uh, that is, uh, can be a very, very bad thing, because it... Really, we live in quite a wicked culture. We don't hear that word very often, and educated people aren't supposed to use the word wicked, but it's wicked. It's not godly. And that culture is pumped around the world, often through the arts, the theater arts, in cinema, in music. People love the American music. They love the American movies. And in, in the subtitles, uh, they're in English, but they'll have Arabic, or they'll have Spanish, or they'll have French. I mean, and they, they, uh, we have exported that stuff all around the world. And when people think of America, you know what they think of? They think uh, that America's like John Wayne. Some of you are like, who's that? You know, but John Wayne, it's a shoot 'em up Or they'll think of, 
of uh, the sex in Hollywood, or they'll think of, you know, in the streets, everyone's walking around with 45s, and, you know, like, uh, shoot them up, and all of that. And when they think of America, they yearn to be here, many of them, and they think it's the wild, wild west, and it's, it's, it's Hollywood, and Valley of the Dolls, and all this kind of stuff, and the music and stuff, and the culture of the music, and the technicality and the beauty of our cinematography and the technicality of the way we're able to produce music now is of the highest caliber in all the world. Unfortunately, the, uh, the, uh, the message of the song in the cinema is uh, often very, very wicked, very bad. It really is. And uh, in our day, doesn't it, I, get a, I get a hoot, for lack of another word, actors that pontificate in other areas. They're an actor. They make millions of dollars. Now they're going to speak politically. And they want to be taken serious. And after all, they're part of the elite. And they're like, oh, please, don't say anything. Don't go down and visit Castro in Cuba and tell us, you know. Don't do this and that, you know. <laughs> I get going, what is that? You're an actor. You're an actor. You know, in the Greek world, it wasn't far different. The theater arts and a lot of that have always been around for millennial at times. Some of you were in drama in high school. Maybe you're in drama club or college or you like the theater arts. My daughter was in a little theater arts in, uh, in a little area in Waverly, Pennsylvania. And uh, it was just a community thing. And she was involved in and had a part as a 9 or 10-year-old in a community play and did a wonderful, wonderful job. Bev and Paul, I know your daughter graduated with a degree in theater arts and, uh, and so on. And the Greeks, a lot of that, they really developed that. But did you know that in, in the Grecian world, uh, and when the Greeks put on their theaters, and they built these huge amphitheaters and put on these plays and the stage and all that, a lot of them pretty immoral, but the, but the actors themselves would often wear a mask. Did you know that? In fact, uh, that's the symbol for uh, theater arts is the mask on the stick. You've seen that. There'll be like two of them that'll cross. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and you're just not initiated this way. And some of you are like, preach it, Pastor. I love the arts. You know? <laughs> and some of you are given that way. Uh, and that's where that came from, the Greek world, where the, the actors would actually hold the mask up and uh, play a role. And they're typically all male. There weren't the female actresses, as we know today. And uh, a male would, would have a face of a female. I'm going to show the expression of that and act that role in that part before the full house of that day. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I'm driving at. The actors in the Greek world, the, the name that was given to an actor was the word, what was it, do you know? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Why? Because when they put the mask up, they're playing the role and the mask, the role, was nothing like what was behind the mask. Hypocrite. Now that's come now, all these centuries later, into our culture, into our life, and, and we hold great disdain. We'll say, like, you're a hypocrite. And they usually say it with some emotion, right? You're a hypocrite! You're acting! You know, and we'll say that. And the media saturation with the politics and all that today... Well, it drives you crazy. He's not, he's not consistent. He's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. That kind of a thing, right? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Well, Dr. Luke, in our writing today, is going to tell us about the Lord Jesus. There he is. He's just denounced uh, the whole culture there. 
They're asking, he's doing all these miracles, and they're saying, just give us one more sign, one more sign. We might believe. Give us one more, Jesus, give us one more. And he says, here's the sign you're going to get. That's it, no more. It's a sign of Jonah. You know, it's a sign of Jonah. We're so glad Jonah's here today. The sign of Jonah, right? And he's pointing to himself that he's going to be crucified, buried on the third day, just like Jonah was thrown over in three days in the belly of the whale, and then Jesus came forth. That was an early sign of Jesus' resurrection. That's the only sign you're going to get. And he denounced that wicked generation. You can see that, right? In chapter, look at Luke chapter 11, verse 21. He calls them a wicked generation. Is it 21? Let me see. There it is. No, it's later. He calls them a, a, a wicked generation and uh, so on. And, uh, and someone greater than Jonah is here. And he denounced them. Well, there in the crowd were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were feeling pretty good about themselves. Now, if anybody, now you think about it, if anybody should have been able to connect with Jesus, it was the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the separatists of that day. They loved the law. They were strict. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to observe it. They weren't like the Sadducees. Sadducees were more the liberal camp. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all. That's why they were sad, you see. Now, you'll always remember that. But they were the liberal, tended to be the wealthy, the influential. They, they, they didn't believe in the scriptures as such. They were just more kind of tolerant. You know, you can probably think of some people like that. The Pharisees were the letter of the law. We want to be holy. We want to be pure. And they kept an oral tradition. And you think if anyone Jesus would have connected with, it would have been the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were feeling pretty good because Jesus just announced the whole crowd. And they're like, but not us, you know, kind of a thing. We're pretty good. They felt pretty good about themselves. They loved tithing. They loved the law. They loved ceremony. They loved sacrifice. They loved the pomp. They loved the pray. They loved to be thought godly and all that. Well, as soon as Jesus denounces the crowd, we look at our passage. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus over for dinner. I think it's great. In chapter 11, verse 37, if you have your Bible in Luke's Gospel, and uh, let's, let's notice the text. And while Jesus was speaking, he was just denounced the crowd, called them wicked. A Pharisee asked uh, him, Jesus, to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. Now let me stop here. You know, one thing when you look through the scriptures, you notice that Jesus is always connecting with all sorts of people. You know, I mean, that's what we ought to be doing. I don't know if you think about that. We love to gather together as God's people and hear the word and be fed. But, you know, you start hanging around here Monday and Tuesday and certain Wednesday, I'll call the cops. Get them out of here. We're, we're, we scatter. We're gotta here most of the time. And we're to connect. And uh, even if it's uncomfortable, you know, uh, and we're to connect with people. And I hope that that's your desire, to connect with people. If we're, if we're the light of the world, we have to go into the world. That's what we do during the week. We come in here, we have a feast, we pray, we worship, we share. We grow strong in our resistance to sin, our desire to love and serve the Lord. Then we go out, out of the salt shakers, uh, Barbara once said in her book. That's right. And Jesus connects with people. He's connecting with, he connects with immoral people, tax thieves. Uh, he connects with prostitutes. He's connecting with the salt of the earth people. And here he is connecting with a Pharisee. He was going to invite him to dinner. Here's Jesus at his house. Rather amazing. 
I hope you get a vision for that. I hope you do. You know, uh, I mean, we love being together, but we've got to connect. With one hand, we hold on to the oracle of God's word. The other hand, we uh, reach out, we rescue those around us. That's what it's all about. If you got that, we can go home. One of my professors uh, at Westminster, Harvey Kahn, I'll never forget. He's in heaven now. But he had a real desire uh, in his early ministry to go to Korea. And uh, he did that. He and his wife went to Seoul, Korea. It was after the Korean conflict. And God had laid upon his heart uh, this desire to move into the red light district of Seoul and to live there and to pray that God would help them win the Korean women prostitutes to the Lord Jesus. That's a messy business. That's like, whoa, wow, why would he ever do that? You know? Their souls are precious women that were abused by soldiers and, and all the rest and the whole deal. And God gave them, after time, fruit. One of the women came to know Christ. And then he and his wife poured into her the gospel. And then another. And then, and then they, they, as they worked through the months and then those years, they trained those reclaimed former prostitutes, sinners saved by grace, like all of us, right? And those girls could really reach the other prostitutes in a way that Harvey and his wife couldn't do it. And there are today in Seoul, Korea, there are a vast array of churches, now these 30, 40 years later, resulted from a vision to make contact with people that were up to their tonsils in sin. If he said, well, I can't go over that, that's a dirty business. Well, he would not have been like the Lord Jesus. And it's not for all of us, but all of us live in this world, unless you're in some sort of bubble somewhere. And God wants us to connect. So who are you connecting with? Here's Jesus having dinner in a sinner's house. He happens to be a Pharisee. I hope, God, that you leave here with nothing else. Birds of my heart. What am I doing to reach someone like Jesus, connecting with him? Well, look, 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, that's not like your mother. Wash your hands before you eat. You know? he's, not, he's not worried about uh, cleanliness here now. Right? Although cleanliness is next to what? Yeah, so your mother's all taught you that, right? <laughs> That's not what he's worried about here. He's, this is all ceremonial to him. You know, it's ritualistic. You go and the, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees taught that from the wrist down, because we live in an utterly sinful world and we come in contact with it, you're unclean here. So they would pour water, pour water, from the wrist down. It went the other way, you're still unclean. And they had a whole uh, matrix of things that they would do like that. Not the Lord. It wasn't part of Scripture. It was added. It was man's rule. The Lord sat down to eat. You can think he's reclining. They didn't sit like at our dining room tables, you know, like uh, Thanksgiving. I'm already getting worked up for that, right? They sit around the table there. Nice. No, it was lounging back. And they went on the side, you know, sort of. Sort of what you want to do with pizza and watch Steelers going to win today. They're playing, uh-oh, Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, New England, I know. Anyway, uh, and, and so what's the Lord do? He's there and he starts eating right away. And this guy is like, he's choking up his cookies. Can't believe it. This rabbi, the Lord Jesus, he's, the, he doesn't, doesn't, he's not going to play their game. Going to cut right through it. And don't we love to add stuff to Scripture? 
We add stuff to Scripture all the time. You can't believe when I'll preach through a book of the Bible, uh, and I've done this, you know, it's been the hallmark of my ministry, really. People, and you get the areas of Christian liberty, people say to me, well, you can't tell people that. And I say, listen, I've committed a long time ago, I'll draw the line where God draws the line, and that's it. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, you know, depending on background, if it's sin, then don't do it. Follow your conscience. But if not, I'm not going to make... I had one man leave the church because I didn't preach against cheerleading. And he was all upset about it. He got past, got to preach against cheerleading. I said, uh, am I missing something here? What's, what's, uh, oh, yeah, well, you know, the, you know, and went on that way. And I just said, let's draw the line. And obviously, that's offensive to you. You better not be a cheerleader. And, uh, you, you know, like, and probably your daughter, I don't know how you're going to work that out and this kind of thing. Our men used to go to, Mike, hockey games. Oh, man, we went there. I lost uh, Kurt over that one. Kurt went there, and he said to me, well, he was all upset. The men went to a Fort Wayne hockey game, and I said, and, I, and he said, you, you should be preaching against that stuff and this and that. I go like, what, what am I missing? What, what, what is it? You know, he said, is, is it, what are they, passing alcohol up and down the aisle with the pizza and the hot dog and the burgers and all that? What it, no, not that. I like that. He said, <laughs> I said, well, what is it? I, I don't get that's a violent sport. He went on and on that way. I go like, wow, I've always kind of thought I was looking for taking the gloves off. I thought that's what you're paying the ticket for. <laughs> Forgive me for that. But uh, I, just, I just said, uh, well, you better not play hockey then. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. The scriptures don't draw the line there. And uh, he was offended by that. The Pharisees added stuff like that. They added stuff, and they made it a burden. They made it onerous to people, uh, hard, and, and, and the Lord cut right through it. There's no disobedience here on his part. God the Father uh, never said to do that, and God's wonderful, wonderful word, and so he certainly was not going to do that. Incidentally, I should say, so you know, because I, I just want to walk through and unfold the text. Really, there are four indicators helping us to spot the first symptoms of hypocrisy in our life, this acting. Listen, here it is. God wants us to love him with all our heart. And at the end of the day, to be genuine and real, I know that word is overworked too much, you know, be real, but be genuine, be real. The church is a place for sinners to gather, you know, and uh, there's a gap between what we know and how we're practicing, and uh, we ought to make sure that gap is as, as, as small as possible. But uh, uh, let's, let's be genuine. Let's not put on that we're further ahead in, in our walk with the Lord and sanctified in every way when, in fact, we're far from where we ought to be. And the Lord is going to unmask the mask of this Pharisee who's role-playing. He's pretending he's godly. But in fact, he's not. He's not. And we can do the same thing. The first thing here, and I should say that we are, we are at first indicators when we're more concerned on outward appearances than inward godliness. Outward appearance. You know, the show. The show. I know great, my son-in-law's from uh, the South. And uh, there's a Southern type. Some of you, most of you aren't from the South, but he'll say there's a culture in the South that it's, it has um, more of the Christian gospel woven into the fabric of the South, the Bible Belt, we'll often call it that, that kind of thing. And, and uh, people will raise their children to be um, polite 
and an appearance of godliness and in their behaviors and all that, external things, you know, and are offensive if, if it's impropriety or something like that. You, there is a high cultural standard of the southern lady and all that. But he said the problem is, is they know how to do the externals. It's the inside that's rotten to the core, or can be. And he said uh, they'll be very polite, but uh, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, use their tongue wrongly, but as soon as that one would leave, and they would express very bad ill will about that other woman, or about this, or why would she wear that, or can't she set a table, or can't she be a better hostess? And he said, and he would say, coming from Arkansas, he said, it's a big problem, because they all show up on Sunday, because Friday night is high school football, Saturday is the university football, and Sunday is church. That's the South. That's, that's, that's uh, Susan, you, you know that, that, that being a Georgia peach, uh, it's, uh, and, and maybe it's a little different from Georgia to Arkansas, and so they know the language of Zion and all that. Well, it's not only the South, it's even in, in other parts of the North and the world where we can learn the language and do the parts and it doesn't reflect what is in here at all. And there's a huge gap. I was always concerned about that with raising my children. You know, like, uh, a lot of times, a parent, uh, we're, we're good at rules, aren't we? <laughs> they're doing something wrong and you're like, you're reprimand them and you're all upset and you go like, well, I didn't know that. And you go like, that's the rule. That's the rule. Well, is that, what? And, you know, like at one time, I think David said, like, Dad, it sounds like you have like 500 rules. <laughs> that's the rule, son. <laughs> and then I got, uh, then I think I got smarter. You know, you finally get smarter by the time they finally leave. You know, if you had more energy and you were younger, you could probably do better the second time around. But thank you, Lord, they don't come again. I'm like, holy. I was telling Mark that the other day. I said, what would happen if we got word your wife was expecting? I go like, oh, that'd be a category of thought I don't even want to think about. <laughs> but, you know, the truth of it is I'd probably be a better parent. I'd be going to bed at 4 p.m. I wouldn't have the energy, but I'd be smarter. And I realized, wait a minute, only a few rules make the heart the issue. The heart, the heart, the heart. Tripp's book on shepherding the heart of a child. It's the heart. Go after the heart. They can play the game. We can all do that. Go to the heart. They need to love the Lord their God with all their heart. When they disobey, they disobey Him. It's not so much you. Don't be so embarrassed. You, the parent, it's God that they've disobeyed. I always make that the issue. Take them to the Lord. Take them to the Lord. Let them develop a sensitive, tender, hopefully regenerate heart as a child. It's the heart of the issue. It's not the externals. We can raise very polite little children that grow up and know the, what to do and where to and all that, but inside they're raving, raving uh, in their rebellion against God, just waiting to get out and allow it to come full bloom. And we've all seen that, right? We've all seen that in time. We say, what happened to them? <laughs> We're all born with the same malady. We're in sin, dead, and lost, and we just learn to play the game. That's what the Pharisees were doing, and Jesus is unmasking them. You drew a comparison in A between the Pharisees' uh, mealtime ritual and their true condition. He wiped only the, uh, the outside of the cup. Now, he washed uh, his hands. Jesus didn't. And the Lord said there in 39, the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside it's full of, of, uh, of uh, inside the cup, it's full of greed and wickedness. Well, you understand what he's saying here. It's like a coffee cup. You ever leave a coffee cup half full on your desk over the weekend? 
<laughs> you're, grow, you're growing medicine in that thing, right? <laughs> poison I, uh, not poison I, um, uh, what is it? Yeah, so you know. <laughs> what do you do, just go refill it up then? No, I'm not touching that thing, it's green. I think I saw it move, you know? And that the outside looks good. That's so the Lord makes that. You're washing, you know, it's a ceremonial thing. The, the, your inside is rotten. It's wicked. It's evil. Go for the heart. It's the heart. And if you don't do that, then you're just play acting. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're playing a role. You want to be thought godly. But you know, in your heart, you're not. That's what the Lord is saying. Cuts right to the quick. In fact, in verse 40, he says he calls him a fool. Now, if he were political... <laughs> you don't say, you know, guys, you know, the big question with the men's fraternity the other night was, are we going to eat in heaven? It's deep spiritual stuff, you know. <laughs> We're like all concerned about that and wondering, <laughs> or was it the week before? I can't remember. And we had a good discussion about that. You know, well, here he is getting ready to eat. You don't offend the guests before you eat if you're politically, you, and the Lord doesn't know. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about this man, his heart. He was a hypocrite. And he's going to help him to see that. And so uh, uh, he, uh, this, this Pharisee, this, uh, his, uh, the observable con uh, conduct of this Pharisee was really the most important thing in his life, this strict set of rules. And uh, the Pharisee was only keeping up religious appearances, clean hands but dirty heart. Jesus calls him a fool. His reason is, is this, look, God made the inside as well as the outside. And that means both are important to the Lord. Who we are matters more than what we do. There it is. Who we are matters more than what we do. Who? Who we are. That's the inside out. Matters more than what we do. Now, we're born lost. We're sinners. We're rebellious. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God creates something brand new in us. I was thinking about that the other day. With the love of God... I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't want the love of God in their life. It's the greatest love story ever. It's a free gift that costs God everything, the death of his own son. But when you come to faith in Christ and receive him as your Savior, he gives you a new disposition, a new heart. And then he gives you the ability to will, I want to please the Lord now, and he gives you the power to do it, and so we begin to walk, and God begins to change us from within. It's so wonderful, really. And we become what we were really made to be. Those that love and fellowship God, those that love others and, uh, and serve. That's the life. It's the life of giving, not the life of getting. Just the opposite of our culture. And number two, under C, remember that story in 1 Samuel 16, 7. What matters most is, uh, is who we are. Uh, uh, God told uh, uh, Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, what are you on the inside? There's a fair question. What are you? I, it's a thing that, that only you can answer on that. That only you can. You know, your eyes don't turn a certain color. David was telling me as a little girl, her, her eyes just turned blue. Yeah, they were like a hazel green or something. I said, well, they'll probably change again. Well, we're really hoping they stay blue, he said. If, if, if you are God and walking with the Lord and your eyes turned like, you know, I don't know, like, uh, like, like uh, some really unique color, chartreuse or something, 
You know, like, yeah, you're in, you're in. No, only you can know this. Only you can examine your own heart before the Lord. It's a nasty business. I know, it's the least favorite thing I have next to taking the trash out every Wednesday night because I have to deal with the trash within my own heart. Like, it's a nasty, I do that every day, every single day. You know, because I can easily say, hey, where's Zabolski go? Where is he? <laughs> and that happens, doesn't it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's sin, Ben. That's still within us. And we live in a fallen world that entices us. It's the heart. Well, what are you on the inside? Are you as good on the, uh, on the inside as you want people to think that you are on the outside? If not, how big's the gap? How big's the gap? Let me suggest a few things. Maybe you speak courteously uh, to people while on the inside uh, uh, you're thinking uh, unkind thoughts. Yes, 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 they walk away. What a jerk. <laughs> now, I know you never did that, but I hear people do that. What a loser. The kids used to do this. Is that the right way? <laughs> you know, had, and then when I started, and is that the right way? Is it? No? Yeah. Yeah, when I started doing it, the kids stopped doing it. <laughs> That's how it is. Once the adults finally get it, they go like, oh, no. <laughs> and you've never done that. But how about another one? Maybe you never uh, use bad language, or almost never. Uh, but your inner dialogue is laced with profanity. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, one of the, the Ron, you said that, uh, something about... Somebody's, it was the first time they were ever in an area where someone waved with all five fingers. Something like that. I don't know. So I, I had to think about that one for a minute while you were talking about it. But I, I got it. I, I, yeah. I've had people wave to me. It's very friendly. They're very friendly. Yeah. yeah. How about another? Maybe uh, you resist having sex outside of marriage, but secretly you feed on all kinds of forbidden lust. You know, listen, you don't have to look far for that. That's everywhere. It's X-rated culture. I mean, they sell everything with sex. Kind of strange, huh? Yep, every single thing. No, I've never seen root canals. <laughs> but, of course, they don't have to sell that, do they? Taylor, they just, you need one. Get down to the end of Donist or something. How about another one? Maybe you spend more time talking about prayer requests than actually praying. Now, that's none of you. I know that. But some folks do that. They're always talking about, and, uh, but the Lord really knows, and there's an image there. You know that. How about another? Maybe you say you trust uh, what God's doing in your life, but all the while you're full of angry resentment. Nobody would see you do this. Well, then you're, that's hypocrisy. I mean, you can go through and ask yourself all kinds of these things. The gap between what's on the outside and what's really, that's who you are right there. Uh, that's an indicator, right, right, right there. Well, are we more concerned with the outward appearances than the inward godliness? That's hypocrisy. Second indicator, 42, when we're more concerned about our own little rules than the big things that matter to God. That's hypocrisy. That's absolute. Look at verse 42. He's going to move into three woes now. 42, woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice in the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What in the world is he talking about? 
Well, uh, the, the three woes, let me say first say, in rebuking the, uh, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, a woe, 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 woe is not a threat. It's, uh, it's a deep lament. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's an expression of anguish. Uh, woe, for the Creator God, the glory of the Redeemer to say that. Uh, if nothing else, it's uh, not good. What did he say? Whoa, uh, not good, right? Not good to a, to in a big way. Well, you see, the Pharisees were very interested in tithing. A lot of times they threw their money in the temple so everybody could see it. I could, ask, I could see them saying, when's the biggest crowd there? That's when I'm going to get my tithe offering. And it would, it would hit the, uh, the coins, gold coins or whatever, hit the container that received them and make that sound of the coin going around, or look at all that. We see that in the widow's might, you know, in another place. So they're very interested in tithing. Numbers 18, it was a command, and, uh, and so on. And uh, tithing uh, is, uh, is I, I would call it God's uh, minimal forgiving. Everything is His. And uh, I believe in tithing and believe that uh, uh, not only is everything His, but we give the first fruits of that. And uh, Faith and I have practiced that for years and years. And in fact, we're at a point where we're planning more. We want to get more away and invest more into the things that count forever. I find out it's, it's, uh, it's better than uh, uh, trying to, uh, to manage more stuff and more money. One of the big things today people tell me is, you know, I have this money. I don't know what to do with it. I'm afraid to put it anywhere. I'm going to lose it. The stock market's down. Sovereign debt is down. Real estate's down. I wish I didn't have it. God has a simple solution. Give it to the Lord's work and it, remove that burden. Now, there's a novel idea. Sounds like Bill Borden, the Borden heir, right? Gave his millions away to the work of the Lord. Now, just an idea there. Well, they're very concerned on that. And here Jesus tells them, and notice what's going on in case you don't know. They were excessive to the extreme and carefully cutting an exact tenth from their smallest herbs. They calculated it down to the littlest decimal. <laughs> they got an herb, and they're like measuring it out. They got the, the graduated, and they're cutting exactly a tenth. Wow, that's great, you know. That's stupid. Now, what's the matter with them? I mean, really, uh, uh, be generous. They, they, they lost the whole spirit of giving. That's what the Lord is going to say here. You know, uh, they lost the joy of giving generously to God who owns everything, and he shares with us whatever we have for whatever days we have. It's all his anyway. Jesus really said, look, you got a deeper problem than, than that. They were unnecessarily precise in one small area of the law, the, the tithing of even their herbs, but at the same time, they completely missed the bigger areas. They were majoring on the minors. Not that mining, that giving is a minor thing, but they're like, they're ignoring the heart and the soul of it all. What, what is that? Jesus said, love God. Isn't that the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And what's the other one? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're over here cutting your tithe right with a microscope to the tenth. Good for you. you know? <laughs> You've lost it all. You don't love the Lord. You're not giving because you love the Lord. You lost, <laughs> you lost the joy of giving. Listen, you can give without loving. You know that? It's going to happen here real soon. Christmas is coming around. And you'll make your list up, right? And you'll go like, uh, oh, yeah, no, what about Aunt Tilly? And what about her and this and that and that? And then it'll come up after you make your list and do your shopping for Christmas. And then you're like, oh, I think they're going to give me a gift. Oh, 
regrets I didn't get them one. You know, like, a, or you'll say, I hope they don't give me anything because then I'm obligated. I got to run out. Can you run out? Can you pick it up on the way home? You know, like, again, that never happens to any of you. I know that because you're still smiling and still sitting here. But that does happen. I hear out there, you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. They were, they were tithing. Hey, sent my car. I did it. You know? But they didn't love God. Their motive was all goofed up. They were, they were acting. They're playing a role. We can do that too. God help us on that. To give and to be generous. To love the Lord with all our heart. Lord, and the Lord's admonition, look, do the tithing. That's what he said, do the four. But don't miss the bigger thing. Love the Lord your God and practice justice. You say, well, what's that mean? That means practicing justice means to love the poor. Care for the widows, the orphans, the poor, the down and out. Check Micah 6, 8. You'll see that. What does the Lord require? Let me read it to you. What is the Lord required of you? To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What's that? What's that mean? It means really to love your neighbor. If you're going to practice justice, you're going to look for the down and out, those that need help, and you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to help them with time. You're going to help them with whatever you can to help. Here's the question then. What, who is it that you're helping? What poor person, what person who is very vulnerable, very weak, you can't do them all, but how about one? We could all do one, look for one this week. Someone that may need some time, someone that may need some money, somebody that may need encouragement. You know, how about we have so many uh, foreigners that are around here, they're coming here, I see them all over the place. I try and make conversation with some. There's an older Indian man, his name is AJ, I've gotten to befriend. He, you know, he's, he's lost. There are a couple Russians there, they're, they're a piece of work. <laughs> I could tell some stories about those guys, but I'll spare you. Uh, but the Lord just put that in my heart. I, I, want to, I want to befriend them and help them. There's some, there's some, I look around, some of the children, I wonder, do they have a dad, you know? You know, do some need to have foster care and orphanage? And maybe we ought to think about, how about the poor, the vulnerable, and loving others? That ought to be the mark of a Christian. They say, I tithe every week, you know? Do you love God? Uh, it, uh, uh, well, you don't. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Practice mercy, that's justice. Random acts of kindness, you know what that is? You just, you're kind. You're kind. You're kind to someone who doesn't even know. You know, you see someone have a need and you try and help them. You put money into an envelope, maybe slip it in their door when they don't see it. Help people have no ability to, to return the favor. That's a good measure right there. That's what the Lord is saying here. These were so concerned with image and outside and acting and yet they had lost their love for the Lord. They lost everything. Probably unredeemed at this point. And they certainly didn't love justice and, and care for the down and out as we ought to be doing. Well, the third, and I'll wrap it up here because we're out of time, but the third indicator, the third, which is verse 43, second one, we, we yearn for people to notice our spiritual accomplishments. Oh, they were great at that, right? Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue. They want to be noticed. 
They wanted to be publicly greeted on the streets. Oh, there's rabbi. Oh, there's, uh, you know, this kind of a thing. And, then I, and so we said, what's it? Well, we serve the Lord. You all have different gifts and abilities. And, uh, and, and uh, some are more visible and a lot are behind the scene. And will I be noticed? Boy, my name better be in the bulletin. Or someone's going to get you know what. <laughs> oh, man. It's in us. Say, well, it's not me. Yeah, it is. It's in me. It's in you, you know. But the Lord can only arrest that. Only he can do that through the gospel. Because that was the Lord Jesus. He made himself nothing. Born of the virgin. What mystery there, right? And uh, came to die for us. Didn't play to the crowd. It wasn't, he was never concerned with the externals. He never wanted to be noticed. That the third indicator here. And he works in us the same thing. It's his work. We can't do it. We'd fail all the time, and we do. You say, well, how can I do this? How can I not be an actor? It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must be saved. And then you must say, Lord, every day, Lord, help. How's that? Lord, help me. And if you pray that way, you're joining me. <laughs> Cause my life to make a difference. I want to be like John. He must increase. I must decrease. I yearn for that more and more and more as the days are flying by. I want to be as genuine and transparent to love the Lord with all my heart and to love all that I come in contact with. And I want that for you as your pastor. That's how you unmask the nonsense of role play. Walking around with a mask. Hope oh, they're a Christian. I gotta put the mask on. I hate that, really. I hate that myself. I hope you hate it and loathe it. It's nothing that it was uh, Jesus was anything but that. Wow. Wow. Well, let's uh, a couple lessons and we'll be done. Let's look at the lessons for our life. Number one, to avoid the death of hypocrisy. Let's give God what's on the inside. Let's give it to him. Lord, here's my heart. Lord, my soul, my mind, my strength. I give it to you. And you know when we do that then, and we're where we ought to be for that time, everything that flows out of our renewed heart will be acceptable and clean. It will. To the pure, all things are pure. How do we do that? Give everything the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. However you want to use me. Big or small, it doesn't really matter. I just want to be faithful and I want to be used. And hit me in the head when I do this role-playing nonsense. Two by four if I need it. Sometimes I need it. Warts and everything, you know it all anyway. You said you were making me in a trophy of grace. I don't know why you did. I would have kicked me off the team. Please, Lord, I give you my heart, my soul, everything. May the love of Jesus flow through me. Number two, second lesson. Know that the hypocrite is hoping that people will not find out what his heart is really like. That's what he's doing. You know, that's what he's doing. 
People won't like me if they really know. And the reality is we're all in the same boat. So we do have these plastic relationships and keep people away. And then we end up not with a quality of life that we really can and should have. Touching people's lives. Because we're sinners, all of us, saved by grace, if you're saved. But the believer knows what's happening on the inside is, is the most important. He knows that. And so he knows that God has forgiven him or her. And if God has accepted me and changing me and empowering me, I'm okay then, I guess. I'm growing in grace. Oh, it's great. I can relax. And I don't have to role play. And so when a guy says, you know, uh, I'm struggling with, and a woman says, I'm struggling, you know what? That's wonderful. We lean on each other. That's, what it's, that's really what it's about. And we all struggle. Certain areas that may differ, may overlap. That's a church. That's, a, that's God's family. That's who we are. And we need each other. We know what's on the inside. And it's all important. And it's okay. Wow. Number three, the gospel helps us to see ourselves as God sees us. And it no longer matters what people think. God sees us, and God accepts us in Christ. I'm home. I know what I am. I love the guy that he was approached, and uh, a guy said to him, I, I, uh, and he tells him, I know what you did. You did this, you did that, ba 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 And the guy responded and said, oh, you only know half of it. <laughs> a, I love the humility. B, he didn't pretend. And that's what really God is. He knows it all. And he accepts us. There's now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus. Because the righteousness that God sees you in now is a given righteousness through faith. It's not through this good works nonsense. Oh, I'm good today. God loves me more. That's baloney. That's not the Bible. He gives us all the righteousness of Jesus. He says, welcome. Now I'm going to grow you, and you're going to become increasingly, day by day, like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in you. Number four. Number four. It's only the gospel that gives true life. It's only the gospel. And number five. Today, do you want to be clean on the inside? Amen. Isn't it great to be clean? <laughs> It's a Saturday night bath in my home growing up. Get in there. Your brother was in the tub. It's still pretty clean. And my mother would scrub my hair. That's probably why I'm thinning out here. She would take that brush, and I swear I was in tears by the time it was done. <laughs> Ed, you had a good mother too, I can tell. <laughs> and I'd get out squeaky clean. All these words stick with you when you're like six, you know, like seven kids in the same tub. Oh, man. Holy cow. Yeah. Anyway, clean. My mother, they're cleaned up. Even better to be cleaned on the inside. Isn't it great? Gone, 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 gone. All my sins are gone. <laughs> Doesn't matter what we've done and how often we've done it, God cleans us. That's why Christians are happy. They should be. There's a joy. And the world looks and says, I wonder what they're up to. I wonder what they're smoking. I wonder what they're 
really do. They go like, you go like, this is good stuff. If you only really knew, God made us to walk with him and to love him and to be those that are great lovers. That's hypocrisy unmasked. And Jesus wanted the Pharisees and kindness to know their real heart condition because they too needed to be saved. Oh, may God help us. May God bless you. Give a great week to serve him. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.